Hey everybody, welcome back to another Word Balloon. It's John Suntress here, and I hope you're going to enjoy today's show. It's the start of a new Bendis Tapes. Um, it's kind of in parts because uh, I, I recorded a conversation with Brian about a month ago and just got really busy, and uh, I'm just releasing it now, along with um, the Defenders press conference that happened last week with Brian and Tom Brevoort and Dave Marquez, uh, which was a nice lengthy conversation about... Uh, the new Defenders book, we saw the preview for it in Free Comic Book Day. They teased that because the press conference was recorded before pre- Free Comic Book Day. But uh, I also took the opportunity to talk to Brian and uh, just get his thoughts on uh, some new releases that had come out. Jessica Jones and Danny Rand uh, bonding in uh, Jessica Jones issue 8. And uh, some other uh, new issue things that I wanted to hit him up with. So we're going to dip in and out of a Bendis Tapes and then go to uh, this uh, Defenders press conference, and then in part two, you'll get uh, the rest of our discussion, okay? It's great, because uh, lots of content today, and then a nice big juicy uh, part two that we, you know, predominantly is the stuff we recorded uh, last month, but it's, it's all still relevant. We talk, you know, Miles Morales and uh, Jessica Jones in general, and this current story arc, The Trial of Maria Hill, or The Secrets of Maria Hill. I forget what the deal is with Maria Hill. You'll know. Uh, and, and Defenders, a nice big preview on Defenders that even expands beyond the press conference that you're getting today in Part 1. Uh, lots of good juicy stuff in Part 2 of this Bendis Tapes on Word Balloon. And, you know, um, this uh, coincides with Word Balloon's 12th anniversary. Can you believe it? Uh, May 10th, 2005, I put up the Word Balloon uh, website and uh, at first just posted MP3 interviews. I had, um, I believe, Mark Andreco. I know I had uh, my buddy, buddy Joe Gentile from uh, from Moonstone Books. I had uh, Brian Azzarello. And I think my buddy Doug Clauba was the fourth interview. I could be wrong. But, uh, man, early on, uh, I know I had the great Jeff Parker and Mike Ringo. This is when I knew where Balloon was cooking. Mark, Mike Ringo uh, emailed me. And it's like, hey, I'm having trouble downloading. Uh, your conversation with Jeff Parker because I'm on a, an Apple computer and you're telling me to right-click to download the MP3. So that's the beauty of uh, the Internet 2005. And I've said this before in tribute to Mike. He was really one of the first creators that really was like, hey, I love what you're doing. And I really sought out his feedback, and he was really kind to give it to me. We all miss Michael Ringo. Um, but anyway, I'm uh, I'm glad to still be here after 12 years. Brian Bendis has always been a big part of Word Balloon. Uh, his Bendis board was a good place to gather my initial core audience, and I'll never forget that and appreciate the continued uh, support and uh, listenership from the Bendis board and uh, beyond. You know, all of you thousands more have uh, glommed on and uh, really appreciate it. Happy to bring this to you each week. New fun conversations. Okay, there's one bit of business that involves really all of this, and I'm really glad to put this out on a Bendis tape. But the uh, issue of net neutrality has reared its ugly head again. You know, we thought we had resolved all this with the Obama administration and his FCC that really went out and decided to create legislation to, or I should say, not legislation, that's that's the legislative branch's job, but, you know, to uh, the, the, through the FCC, they uh, reclassified all of the Internet service providers as uh, under uh, Title II of the FCC Act, which gave them stronger um, oversight from the FCC and kept all these Internet service providers from creating these uh, speed lanes where uh, certain websites 
will download faster because they have a financial interest with the internet service providers. Like if, uh, say, Verizon's uh, streaming thing wanted to load faster than Netflix. Uh, My basic example is uh, Domino's Pizza versus Joe's Pizza in your hometown. They should have a level playing field. If you want to order pizza, you should be able to go to wherever you want and get the same internet experience. That's what net neutrality is all about. Word Balloon is an independent uh, thing and uh, is very proud of. I pr- I'm proud of being independent, and it is very important. Even if I were, uh, you know, in some sort of deal with a big business, I- I'm sorry. I'm still a, a First Amendment, you know, equal rights kind of guy at heart, and I do think it's very important that. If you've got a lemonade stand and Sunkiss is making lemonade, you should be able to sell your lemonade equally on the Internet. Nobody should get preferential treatment. I'm a huge believer in that. Unfortunately, our current president's FCC head, uh, his agenda is to reclassify the Internet service providers uh, with less oversight. Uh, you know, And again, there's nothing that says they are absolutely going to do a, a faster lane. But uh, I think oversight is necessary, and I think it's really important to keep uh, the Internet service providers where they're at. So, thank God for John Oliver. If you didn't watch HBO's Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, it's on YouTube as well. I encourage you to watch it because he really explains net neutrality very simply. And because in typical FCC fashion, you know, they allow the public to have their say, but they always make it really complicated for the public to be able to give their say. But uh, John Oliver has given us a wonderful shortcut to petition the FCC. I urge you to watch uh, his HBO segment about net neutrality, the brand new one from this year. And uh, I I will, uh, however, now provide you with those same shortcuts and what you need to do. So what you need to do is go to GoFCCYourself.com and that will take you directly to the petition page. Then you hit Express. That will send you to the correct uh, proceedings. It fills in all the required information. You just have to give your name and your address and your email and then give your comments. And the key phrase to say is, I support net neutrality backed by Title II oversight of ISPs. Because the FCC is trying to, again, change that. And this isn't a partisan thing. Because literally, how many issues can you find where the National Rifle Association and the American Civil Liberties Union agree on this issue? Conservatives and liberals agree. Yes, there are pockets of conservatives that disagree with this. And clearly, I think uh, the big business interests out there, it doesn't surprise me that uh, the current FCC chairman is thinking this way. Uh, but it's wrong, and and it was really important uh, for net neutrality to uh, be regulated the way that it was when it went under the Title II oversight. So this is what we need. GoFCCYourself.com, hit Express, fill out your information, and what you want to say is, I support strong net neutrality backed by Title II oversight of ISPs. That's it for the editorial. Let's get into the entertainment now. Word Balloon is brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Inkstock Trades has always been a great supporter of Word Balloon. I appreciate their patronage. And you will appreciate their uh, store because they have great books at great prices. Uh, by the way, small business. All right, think of that. InStockTrades.com and Amazon. Classic example. But let's uh, let's go on with uh, the InStock Trades uh, stuff that you can get. Uh, how about Rise of the Black Flame? Another wonderful uh, BPRD uh, story written by Mike Mignola. 
and Chris Robertson and drawn by Chris Mitten. These are like three good guys. And Dave Stewart once again doing the coloring. Uh, we just had Gary Gianni on talking about uh, the latest uh, Hellboy uh, graphic novel. Here's another one, though. 42% off. A great BPRD story. It's just $11.59. Uh, you can also get uh, all-new Wolverine from my buddy Tom Taylor. Volume 3, Enemy, Enemy of the State 2, is available. It's uh, Tom Taylor and Nicole Varela, or Varea, uh, and it's 42% off. It's just $10.43. All right, let me get some indie books in here because, uh, you know, I, this, I, I just went on a whole big thing about, you know, big big guys versus little guys and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm trying to find a, a good deal on a, on a little guy book. Here we go, Nailbiter. Nailbiter Volume 6. Johnny Shaw Williamson, Mike Henderson. I, I haven't had either of them on Word Balloon, but I know Nailbiter is an excellent image book. Uh, this collects uh, issues 26 through 30. It's Volume 6, 42% off, $8.69. Uh, Tarzan versus uh, the Planet of the Apes, or I should say Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes. What a great idea. My buddies uh, Tim Seeley and Dave Walker. Uh, well, acquaintance in Dave's case, but I hope to, I hope uh, we do become friends eventually. Uh, we have a lot of mutual friends. Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes is drawn by uh, Fernando Dagino. I hope I'm saying that right, but uh, or Dagnino, Dagnino, probably with a tilde in there. 208 pages. Uh, it's uh, 42% off, just $11.59. A great premise, great idea uh, from Dark Horse. And Dynamite doing that wonderful book. So just a few of the great books that are on sale from InStockTrades.com. You know, you've heard the spiel before, but I mean it. I mean, this is a great service, and they give you great books at great prices. You save even more if you pay $50. You'll get free shipping, and they pack their books well. They pride themselves on giving you great books at great prices. InStockTrades.com. Okay, without further ado, let us get into our Bendis Tapes conversation uh, it's, uh, I kept having technical difficulties. It wouldn't be Word Balloon recently without technical difficulties. I think, finally, I have solved my issues. Uh, I had to reload Windows, the whole spiel, but it doesn't matter. So, during this conversation with Brian, uh, we had a couple times where uh, my microphone would just mute on its own. And uh, this is clearly not happening today, and uh, it will be fixed uh, for Part 2 uh, with our further conversation with Brian. But uh, so there's going to be some stops and starts, and I'll come in and explain, uh, you know, where things stopped and then where they picked up again. But uh, here's my conversation with Brian Michael Bendis, including a great Defenders press conference featuring Brian and Dave Marquez and Tom Brevoort. Uh, the Free Comic Book Day is out. They, they preview it. And in part two, we'll talk more about the Free Comic Book Day and also get a general look at the uh, Defenders series along with a whole lot more from Brian. But uh, in this part... Uh, Defenders press conference, and also we talked some Jessica Jones, and we talked Spider-Man, because the big announcement came that uh, Brian is picking up the sequel to uh, the Miles Morales, Peter Parker, First Encounter, and uh, how the story has changed, because uh, certainly now uh, they're all in the 616, so, uh, you know, that, that caused Brian to change the story a bit, he talks about that. And uh, it's a lovely Brendis uh, conversation, even uh, some new uh, stories uh, that are non-comic related that I think you'll enjoy. Here's uh, a new Bendis Tapes on Word Balloon. Okay, new Bendis Tapes. I'm uh, very happy that uh, this is happening. And this is, um, this is a layered, this is a parfait Bendis Tapes. Because this is a layered, a layered Bendis Tapes. You get it, exactly. A, a stitched together. Yeah, because um, you just did the press conference today. Uh, hi, Brian. I'm sorry. Brian Bendis, everybody. Okay. 
uh, Brian and uh, Hi, good to see you there. Good to hear you. Dave Marquez, Brian and Tom Brevoort yes. addressed the uh, press with Marvel and talked about uh, the Defenders, uh, the free comic book day and, of course, the ongoing series that follows. One day soon, I'm going to have David Marquez come over here and we'll do this together with him. Yeah, well, he's, you know, I had him and uh, R.J. Ryan talking about the joiners. Sure. Their, their 3D book and everything. And, and you know, well, David's just been busy with the new baby, and I would have had him on. It's a very, very busy year for David. And, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And people know. Like, he's never, you know, you know, he missed the deadline in Civil War, went a little late because of, of the baby. Sure. So, But it is a very cute baby. Well, that's good. Civil War did get finished, and, and the baby is, is good. So everything worked out. Excellent. But, yeah, but we'll get him on. He's a, he's a fascinating individual. And, uh, yeah, smart guy. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get into it. Excellent, so, and and yeah, yeah, no, you know, and it was funny too because we did this press conference and we didn't get the images until after the press conference. They didn't send it to the <laughs> press, so it was kind of hard to formulate questions and everything. But it was a good conversation. We oh, so I was really talking out of my ass. That's I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Who so, doesn't love to hear that? But before I we get talking, to people had no idea what I was talking about. Before we get to that, um, yes. you you've also announced that um, the Spider Man. Uh, sequel that is yes. finally is finally happening, and that's great yes. because you left us on a really interesting cliffhanger of uh, Peter back in the six one six takes a look at the internet and says, "Gee, I wonder if there's a Miles Morales here," and then he sees this. Oh shit! And, you know, or oh no, what? Miles. <laughs> yes. Now, so yeah, I, I was always eager to do this again. And then, um, you know, the events uh, of of the Marvel Universe uh, conspired against it. But it wasn't like, oh, my God, if I don't do this story this year, I'm never going to get to do it. I was like, no, we'll know when it's time. You know what I mean? Like, I I didn't, like, panic too much. I was just like, uh, well, we'll find out. And it was funny because literally not a week goes by where someone didn't ask me about uh, that page. That page, that last page of Spider-Man – it has eclipsed what's behind the closet door in New Avengers, and um, and, and it was great, and I, I loved it. But I, I did have an answer, and I did so. I didn't want to be too cheeky about it online, uh, but you know, I was I was happy that it always stayed. And then when uh, Miles came to the six one six, some people thought the story was over. But when um, I decided to stay uh, on Miles uh, on Miles's book when he came to six one six. One of the things was, oh, and then we get to do a uh, Spider-Man um, uh, it, with them both here, right? Yeah. And, and then follow through with that, and that'll be even more interesting because um, whatever the, that mystery is will reveal itself, and Miles isn't going home afterwards. It's going to be here, right? Sure. So, so that got very exciting. And then it just became a, uh, of when and where, and I kind of knew it was going to be a little times away. So I dropped Peter in the first issue of Miles' book last year just to, you know, so people know I, I, I wasn't going to ignore that they had met. Sure. I mean, I wanted people to know where they stood with each other. Mm-hmm. Just so we've laid a little little bread base. And then, uh, and then, and then, but building all this time towards um what could happen between peter and miles if if ever they were have to ever have a, a big epic emotional um mini event for themselves and here we are very cool so, and who's yeah, the artist uh it's sarah pacelli i wouldn't do it without her very cool so um uh she uh, the reason i think people tear up at the first series 
is because she um i think it's a perfect example of her of her abilities as an artist so i did tell her that in the first script i went i think the first miniseries is the best thing you've ever done so top that Wow. And um, yeah, I mean, like, like, so just do, so just be the best version of yourself you've ever been, and um, and I'm very, very excited about it. And I was working on uh, an issue last night, so it's very fresh on my mind. Very cool. Hey, you know, what? Where would you, without spoiling, say, uh, you know, the classic line: "Great power comes great responsibility." Where, where's the level of responsibility Peter has when he looks at Miles? Well, that's that's it. How much did he feel? When it was like, okay, I'm going home to my own dimension, good luck. And how much does he feel now that he's here? Sure. And um, the events in Peter's life as they unfold over the course of this year will um, will, will, will alter the relationship between Peter and Miles as well. Very cool. And, it, I mean, do you, do you talk to Slot about this in terms of uh... – Oh yeah, well, no, number one, I we have Nick Lowe, who is our uh, both of our sure. editors. He, so he's able to uh, look at the bigger picture, not only Peter Miles, but of all the Spider books. Yeah, and really, when you think of, and it is quite amazing <laughs> that there's this many Spider titles. Yes, and they're all unique, and all have um, kind of, you know, why they're being published. Like you know, sometimes if there's like. 16 x-men books there's like three you go why are those being published yeah. you know <laughs> they, each book needs to thematically identify itself like this is why this story is being told right yes so um yeah so 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 i i nick's amazing and he's able to do this with a handful of spider characters each of them having an individual unique voice and and take on the world and so he's the one who uh, balances me and Dan uh, very, very, very shapely. Because, uh, by the way, not only for team-ups and stuff like this, but plots. And, you know, to make sure we're all not, you know, that each one's doing something unique and original with their spider characters. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you would hate if, like, Peter and Miles both fought Dr. Octopus and beat him up the same way in the same month. Sure. That would be, that would be uh, crappy editing. <laughs> but instead, we have a, a masterful editor who who has literally been on Ultimate Spider-Man since its heyday, since its Peter Parker heyday. Um, so yeah, so Nick is Nick is great. That's and cool. Really you know, I just had a long conversation with Dan, and uh, I, know, I I I marked it to listen to. Oh, thanks, I saw man. it this morning. Yes, because <laughs> we uh, yeah we got into a lot of the other Spider Verse books and Spider Gwen and Silk and uh, you know and Venom, and I, it was really interesting mm-hmm. to kind of touch base and, and, you know, see what's going on. Cause I have to confess, I, I haven't been keeping up on all the spider books. And also I it's saw a, Latour. It's a lot of spider books. Yeah. There are yeah. a lot of spider books. I, yeah. t- I saw Latour at C2E2 and we're long overdue. And you have that nice crossover with, uh, with miles and Gwen. Yeah. With him. And we talked yeah, about that know, a I, little I, bit. I think I, t- I think I told you, I, I, uh, you know, I don't know Jason at all. I mean, yeah. like, you know, I, I know some people who listen to these, uh, or follow us on Twitter. And sometimes we're all goofing around with each other. They think we all live in a clubhouse or something like a real world, um, particularly the Portland creators. Like we all live in a house, right? Right. Um, but but you know, a lot. So, some of us don't know each other at all. Like I don't know Jason Latour at all. And then it was actually Nick's idea to bring us together on on that. He goes, "Hey, you guys should do a a, a crossover." And then immediately we got on the phone just just to see if there was an idea there. And as soon as we got to the um, Spider Gwen would be Miles's girlfriend from Canada that no one's ever met. No, I have a girlfriend. She lives in Canada. You just don't know her. 
that, that then we had to do the storyline, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and it was one of those things where I didn't know this guy. And we bounced back and forth. And it was absolutely lovely from top to bottom. Cool. It was just lovely. That's great. That's great. It was lovely to work with. And it was just one of those. See, this is why you do stuff like this. Yeah. Had a completely yeah. lovely creative experience with people I didn't know. Fantastic. That's yeah. wonderful. Um, and, and you know what? You always hear the bitching. So I like to share when there's a nice thing. The good stuff. Absolutely, man. Not going to be a headline story, but I'd like to, like to know. Jason Latour is fun to work with. Before I forget, with Spider-Man, um, you've also got the Generations issue. And we talk a little bit about yes. that in our big conversation, our Uber yes. conversation. But, no, um, so, yeah, so that, that's good because some people have asked, like, what's the difference right. between, um, like, what Spider-Man 2 is and what Generations is. And I have to be careful because there's things about Secret Empire that uh, I shouldn't spoil, okay. right? So I have to be careful. What so what's going to happen in generations is real. It's really going to happen. Uh, is a different type of story, um, and I think the best way I can describe it to fans that are older than twelve is um, generations is Peggy Sue got married and. Um, <laughs> Spider-Man 2 is like the best parts of all the other movies. <laughs> Which other movies? Couple all of them. Of them. Okay. All of them. Okay. Human Centipede, uh, <laughs> Mall Ma- Blart, Bart Cop, whatever that was. Paul, Paul Blart, Ma- Mall yeah, Cop, yeah. That was the whole Adam Sandler, Happy Madison, oh. all those things. Okay. <laughs> Gee, great. <laughs> That's funny. I, you know, I have to say, I just saw Peggy Sue got married again like a week or two ago on one of the encores. And I'm like, oh, you know, this is better than I remembered it being. No, it is because it's, it's emotionally honest um, yes. uh, storytelling. And what I like about it, when I'm referring to when people say, to, uh, what, what, how, how is Generations Like Peggy Sue Got Married? It was much more about the emotion of the moment than it was about we got to get it back in time you know it's not sure. like the most time travel stories are about shit i gotta get back to my time right whereas um whereas this was more about the emotions of what happens if you ever saw what you saw yeah and no and she was she was enjoying herself and she's like, yeah. i'm gonna go discover the beatles you know no a little shit like that that was fantastic yeah. okay so uh my microphone muted at that point and uh, we, you know, hung up on each other. I unmuted my microphone. We started our conversation again. And uh, we got into, we were done talking about Francis Ford Coppola and moved on to a David Mamet story that, frankly, I don't remember Brian telling me. So if he did before, remind me and go, yeah, John, that was, uh, actually, you know, last year during a Bendis tapes. It really seemed like a new story to me. But uh, here's a great Ma- David Mamet story encounter that uh, Brian had. On uh, that, as we pick up our conversation on Word Balloon. Remember, it was the, the, the story I told you about David Mamet casting right next to us? No. I never told you this? I don't think so, man. And thankfully, right, well, we're recording. So, we'll... <laughs> All right. So last year, last summer, um, I would spend my weekdays uh, in, in Los Angeles at the Powers Writers Room uh, just for a few weeks. And um, it's in the Sony building. And there's other Sony things going on in the building. And um, uh, it's actually a very historical building. It's a very cool place to be. And, um, and and there's a casting office not right down the hall from us. So quite often there would be this parade of 
uh, types of people. Maybe you're all oh, today. They're clearly auditioning blonde people, you know. And uh, um, and then every once in a while, there'd be like this pack of like pretty well-known actors all there to for a pretty big gig, like a, a gig big enough where known actors would would audition for, right? Okay. And and it was cool. And and sure. uh, and then and then we're all in the writers' room. And then um, Ramy, the showrunner, who I believe you met, um, uh, came in the room and goes, uh, "Brian David Mamet's in the hallway." And I'm like, what? And then I literally like ran in the hallway. Lo and behold, David Mamet and Al fucking Pacino are casting what turned out to be this play that didn't go very well. Uh, this Broadway play. It's a two hander. It's this, it's it's Al Pacino is this crazy billionaire and he's pretty much just lambasting his assistant the entire play. Right. Okay. So they're looking to hire the assistant. Mm-hmm. So who is there is these three young actors who are the only who are the last who have done so well. They're auditioning for Al Pacino under David Mamet's direction in the room right next to my office. I literally sit in my office and through the air vents, listen to Al Pacino yell Mamet dialogue for hours. Wow. I recorded it and sent it to Fraction. I was having the best day. <laughs> the three young actors, you know, it's so funny, you know, they're 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 auditioning. They're clearly trying not to be nervous. They're truly trying to support each other and not not to think about what they're what they're about to do. But Al Pacino is Al Pacino acting, and the 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 halls are shaking with his voice because he's working the character out in the audition, right? Sure. So he's like, you know, but it sounds like the guy from Heat, you know, like, big ass! It's like that kind of yelling. <laughs> and uh, um, so I finally, you know, I, as I described to you in other podcasts, how badly I screwed up my interview with him at CBR yeah. and how yeah. embarrassing it was, but it did give me enough of an in to walk into that room and say, hi, I'm Brian Bendis. I actually interviewed you for your graphic novel. David Mamba wrote and drew a graphic novel. Okay. And uh, so, I, again, I, I walked in and I didn't say, you are my biggest fan, but it was close to something like that. <laughs> David Mamet, you are my biggest fan. It was, it was uh, I did it again. I walked right into his office. I don't care what the fuck he was talking about with my hand outstretched and took his hand and said, hello, Mr. Mamet. Have you given me blah, 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 blah. Uh, attempted to apologize for an interview he had no recollection of giving. Oh man! And went on my way. It's okay. I felt I finally got to look him in the eye and say thank you. I did it. I walked away. All right. All right. So <laughs> later, Roland. So I'm getting nothing done. Here's the funny thing: the man who inspires me to do work more than anything in the world is in the room. I can't get anything fucking done. It's hours and hours and hours of listening to Al Pacino scream. And every time someone walks around, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they put a note on the door that said, uh, hey, if you're auditioning today, the blah, 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 sign David Mamet. And I, I'm like, I should, st- I have to steal the sign David Mamet sign now. Oh like these are all the things that were going on instead of work. Um, and then, and then we were all working in the Powers Writers Room. Are you still there? Oh yeah, still is. Okay, yeah. We're working in the Powers Writers Room, and then we're we're talking, and all of a sudden you could hear Al Pacino coming towards us in the hallway. You could just hear, you know, what's going on here? And we all turned because Al Pacino on his cell phone was like, "I don't even know what building I'm in." 
And then he looks at all of us, and we're all looking at him. And he looks on the walls of what look much like, if you don't know what Powers is, it just looks like fucking madness. It's just like every gross thing Mike ever drew. <laughs> every every image we're trying to recreate for the for the season, all of which like the big horrifying things, right? Yeah. And there's Nazi symbols, and you know, remember there's an episode where where Hitler gets killed. You know, there's Nazi symbols and violence and superpowers, and then he just walked away. <laughs> that was my story, but it was it, you know, it was like one of those things where. Because of powers, I got to shake David Mammoth's hand and say thank you. You know what I mean? Like, what are the odds of that? Sure. Him being that building to do that thing. That right next door. That's insane. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I, thought I, so I literally said, oh, can't wait to tell John I got something for the podcast. <laughs> something that. happened. I left my house and something happened. That's awesome, man. No, that's huge. Ridiculous. Yeah. Too funny, yeah, man. I nerded out, but I, I'm sure it, it, yeah, it was bad. <laughs> and people didn't hear the setup, but you, you sent me the link for uh, the Godfather reunion at the Tribeca Film Festival. Yes. And we were talking about that. And like I said, I had read comments where, and I didn't realize it was Taylor Hackford was the moderator, uh, the great film director. And yes. obviously very happy to be there. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's clear. Listen, they're very old men. Yeah. And it's women. clearly the last time it's ever going to happen. Um, they, 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 they don't seem to all like each other all that much to start with. <laughs> so interesting, you know, because they did, they did a Godfather retrospective, and there's no mention of the third one. Well, yeah, isn't that weird? It's only Godfather one and two they're talking about. Well, Duvall obviously passed and was kind of mad and not not feeling like he was being respected money wise. I know all that. I know, but it's just funny they won't even talk about it. It's all that that was just like something was agreed upon. Like, where is three in your? I mean, granted, it's it's certainly a lesser film than the other two. It's a, it's just it's I, I, it's up to, it's with it's like the two Jakes. There's nothing really wrong with it. it, it it's its sins are minor, but the fact that it has sins at all is its problem. Yeah, it just and, and you know what's funny. And Sofia Coppola is is not ready for that movie yet. Yes, and she turned into such an excellent filmmaker. Yes, it's like you you can even kind of forgive that now. Like, yeah, all right. Sure. Listen, but he put everyone else he's he's related to in that movie. All they all turned into like Academy Award winning people. So totally, totally. and so did she. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, no, so he was wrong to hire, but you know, and they even talk about like he hired Talia. They hired Talia Shire, and he was about to get fired. You know, from the first movie, mm-hmm. you know, they talk about it. it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm only about 15 minutes into it, but uh, already no interesting stories. And yeah, like you said, it's interesting to see them all at this age whatever willingness they are to interact with each other and stuff. At first, I didn't even exactly. recognize James Kahn because I kind of blew off the intros. And I'm like, who's that to the left of Coppola? No, no, no. Don't blow off the intros. I'm Do gonna... not blow off the intros. Right, they are great as that uh, Republican debate where they none, none of them came out. <laughs> Do not skip the intros. When politics was still funny. Oh, yes. man. Yeah, that's – oh, then I'm right. I'm gonna... All right, I'll do that and uh, yeah, I will try rewind. and provide a link. Yeah, okay. There you go. All right, so back to Spider Man Two. So yeah, that and then we're doing that. Yes. <laughs> and we were talking about Peggy Sue got married, and it's uh, it's a very fine film. And yes, got, they, we brought it all back full Coppola. Yeah, there full you Coppola. go. Exactly, that's what inspired the Coppola talk. Yeah. So the, anyway, the, yeah, the story of Generation, the story of Spider Man Two, very different. Very cool. Uh, okay. We'll hopefully pull on different emotional heartstrings. And then I'm you very excited about Generations because I'm getting to work with Maron Perez, who I'm a big fan of. So. Oh, very cool. Yeah. 
No, he's great. Oh my god, he's great. Tale Fan of, of his uh, Jim Henson graphic novel, uh, The Sand of Time. I think people should check that out. Tale of Sand, yes. Tale of Sand. Sorry. No, no. I yeah. Not much of a reader. <laughs> I knew Sand was in it. It's in such time. a great. It's a silent graphic novel, and it's it's amazing. And I had him on, and Steve Christie as well of Arcadia, uh, when they first put it out before they merged with uh, Boom. And uh, no, it's it's great. Now Ramon's very cool, good guy. Yeah, yeah the good, pleasure. Good, good. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so okay, and also real fast because generations uh, makes you think also of legacy. Are is something else coming up with you involving legacy at all? I am all in on legacy. I am totally in on legacy. I'm not. I'm not sure what I'm allowed to say yet, but I'm very into legacy. I think um, some people can. I think some people know that there's going to be a return to legacy numbering mm-hmm. on, on not every title, but some titles. I'm very excited about this because I have written a lot of Spider-Man and I would like credit for every single issue I wrote. So <laughs> I understand. I just had this uh, talk with Dan because I yeah. was trying to figure out Dan's number of Spider-Man issues. And uh, I'm like, you know, and it's funny because he told me, your caveats and Brevoort's caveats and like what you're am I right? No, actually, everything only Brevoort, Brevoort's the only one with caveats. So this is our funny bugaboo. He thinks like annuals and special issues don't count. And I'm like, any script I handed in that said Spider Man on the title, it counts. Yes. Annuals, mini series, specials, they all count. Sure. I agree. So. I agree. And and I know Dan I think leans a little towards Brevoort where he's like, Yeah, I don't count those. And I'm like it like I said it to him. I'm like, you're nice. Yeah, well, they, 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 they are, they are, they are, they have, they have drunk <laughs> the same Kool-Aid many years ago, but, um, they're, they're very much the same, like the same kind of person is very cute. I could see fans uh, doing that. I, I can, I, I'm sure there are fans that'd be like, yeah, those don't count. So no, no, they, no, no, there are. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I should say Tom has evidence that he's correct in that what fans think of this, but I don't, I know yeah. I would. I work very hard in every single issue, and I'm counting every single issue. This is so. this is the same kind of conversation I have with Marty Pasco about Superman, because well, I did a lot of things that were specialty things that you know only the American Dental Association you know had. had. I'm like, yeah, it counts. If you wrote a Superman story, it counts, man. Because yeah, you put the same effort in. Absolutely. So I get it. All right. Well, that's Seven, cool. seventeen years ago. Me and Kyle Gossett from the uh, um, the Red Star yes. did a, a free Spider-Man comic. For a product that, I, for the life of me, I couldn't tell you what it is. I count that. I understand. <laughs> there you go. Hilarious. No one's ever seen it. I once wrote four uh, custom comics for Marvel, for BBDO, for, for a diversity program. Uh, they ended up not getting published. Uh, no one's ever seen them except for some um, sections of them I repurposed for other stories. And I count those. <laughs> So do you know your count? What where you're at as far as uh, I I don't. I asked. I asked. I, I told them what I wanted my count to be, and um, uh, I didn't. I got my Iron Man count today, which was good. What's your Iron Man count? Well, I I will be um I will I will be really close to issue six hundred, which is all I wanted. <laughs> now they're not all my Iron Mans. It'd be the total of how many Iron Mans. And uh, we're at like five ninety three or something. Oh, okay, I see. So I get to do like that. That means I got a triple size six hundred, which I like. Okay, like I like the big anniversaries. Oh, so are you, is it going to be a nine ninety nine anniversary issue for? Spider-Man? Sounds like a great place for Tony Stark to wake his ass up and shave and. Oh, very nice. 
well, that's make good. it through two to something. <laughs> so, I mean, it seems like we got. Seems like we got. I mean, you know, right? All right, it's like I... right there. It's like sitting there. <laughs> oh, do you six oh two? Instead, that's yeah, like, and again, uh, you'll hear more about uh, the Iron Man runs and and uh, artificial intelligence, Tony Stark, in uh, in in uh, the conversation later on. But oh. right, but uh, let's see, because uh, yeah, oh, and I was going to say uh, Jessica Jones. Uh, I wanted to. Yeah, talk we should about remind that. people this is a a hodgepodge patchwork of conversations yes. that we're stitching together to make it seem like it was like one fluid conversation. But uh, weeks have passed. True. Lives have changed. Well, anyway. books have come out. I mean, that's, and really, because literally, we finished our conversation, and all of a sudden, like we, the last time we talked, we were at Jessica Jones six, and then seven came out. And I'm like, wow, you know, damn it, I wanted to talk about that because I'm, I'm writing ten tonight. Oh, very cool. I loved uh, David's uh, David Max cover uh, showing. Uh, you know, I always forget uh, Jessica and Luke's baby's name, Danny. Dan- remember, just remember Danny Grand, Daniel that Cage. Makes, of course, it's yeah. Danny. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, and and again, this will bridge our our defenders press call in a second. But yes. um, yeah, I love the fact that we're getting uh, a clearer definition of the Jessica and Danny Rand uh, Iron Fist uh, relationship. And I- yeah, it was one of the one of those things I was like looking at over everything, like prepping for uh, defenders. I, I had a. Uh... A uh, great deal of time, like a year and a half, to prep for Defenders, which is such a gift. It really is. You, you, it's it's uh, it, it never happens. And um, uh, and, and I was making lists of things I hadn't seen or things I could have done better. And and I and I realized I, I hadn't really ever established Danny and Jessica's relationship because I don't think they ever had. You know what I mean? There was never there was never a moment where they could have turned to each other and kind of had a moment. And uh, and so I said, well, let's 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 I like when people talk about their non relationship way into the relationship. I like when, I, I like in real life when you establish why you're not closer. <laughs> sure. No, I understand. That's so, a real yeah, thing. So, and yeah, it is. It, it is a real thing. It's, and it's also I get excited when I think of like I've never seen that in a comic. I don't think I've ever seen someone, not like anyone's dying for it, but I, I like when you, anytime you think of an image or uh, uh, or just a small moment, then I'm like, I, I can't remember ever seeing that in the comic or even on TV, you know? So, no, and so I, go for it. In your, in your Daredevil run, uh, there were moments like that between Matt and Dakota North or yeah. Dakota <laughs> explaining her relationship to Matt as she guarded him or Mila or whoever. Yeah, yeah during the story. So no, I, I like those things. And again, yes, yeah, certainly it makes sense with uh, defenders coming up and everything to kind of reestablish. Yeah, so as it like, we establish everyone also, you know, this Jessica run on top of just being great to be writing Jessica again. Um, it was a good kind of getting my feet wet for defenders. Like, you know, reestablishing myself with the characters, you know, putting Luke's shoes back on, you know, just getting a, yeah. getting a sense of them also. Yeah. It worked out really well. Excellent. All right. Now, for listener purposes, we're going to cut to the press conference now, and then we're going to have a little after thing that I can re- talk a little bit more because uh, this stuff is discussed during the press conference, and then I can now have the opportunity to talk to Brian a bit more, especially since I've seen some more of the art uh, to understand how things look and things that are referenced in terms of the way the book is laid out that I wanted to refer to. So here's sure. the here's, and, and why. But while you're doing that, also remember you're not going to hear me for the first few minutes because I don't know how to dial a landline. <laughs> so 
while you're listening to David and Tom uh, talk and I'm not there, just realize that I have now dialed the phone seven times trying to call in to a conference call. <laughs> I took out – there were a lot of awkward pauses during the press conference as they were trying to figure out if you were there or not. But that's all been cleaned up. Um, we get right – Oh, leave them in. Leave them I no, want to hear no, them. It's, no, it really is like awkward where it's like, yeah, you know, waiting for the <laughs> day. I didn't know that. That makes it all because I kind of came in like a hurricane. Like I felt bad afterwards because I was so full of nervous energy from being late, which I hate being, you know, uh, because I wasn't late. I was there on time, but I wasn't having any luck with the phone. No, I understand. And Ben is, I believe it was Ben that was running things, not Chris Delandra today. No, she's Joe. It was Joe. Joe. No, Chris, Chris had excused himself from his job, which I did not know at the time of the uh, call. So, so Joe uh, Tarabelli ran the press conference and eventually he's like, all right, Brian's not there. All right, let me talk to Tom and David and stuff. So yeah, it went, it went fine. And then, yeah, all, all of a sudden right. you'll hear Brian kind of rush in. Hey, sorry. So here we go. Here's the, uh, here's the, right. the Defenders press conference, uh, and then we'll, we'll come back and have some afterthoughts. But here I also now. thought it was interesting that Marvel never called on the New York Times or USA Today. <laughs> we might as well get started on this. Uh, I don't want to take up anyone's day on this. So I uh, just want to welcome everybody. We're going to be doing our Defenders Next Big Thing call. Uh, on the phone line, we've got uh, Brian Michael Bendis, the illustrious Brian Michael Bendis. He likes that. Uh, David Marquez is on the line. And then I also am sitting next to the wonderful Tom Brevoort. Um, and with that, uh, we're just going to start off some conversations. Uh, we'll be providing artwork after the fact, and then we're going to open it up to uh, everybody to ask a couple of questions at the end of this. Uh, to, so to start with this um, and kicking it off to Brian to start it on this, uh, you know, considering your previous run with like New Avengers, you're so well familiar with uh, tackling Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, uh, Iron Fist, Daredevil, the whole, and then now you get the chance to put them all together. Um, is this the exact team that you really wanted to go back to? Brian's still there? Did we lose him? Anybody there? Is anyone there? We heard some people. David. This is David. David's here. Yeah. David's there. All right. Okay. Good. All right. I'm texting Brian real quick, yeah. Well, here, let's do this. Hey, David, while I've got you on the phone here, yeah. one thing that uh, I guess really kind of stands out, too, is, I mean, we, when we read the first issue as well, um, and I'm just really coming from my own personal preference or just what I saw was every time you kind of really focused on each character, there was a great visual tone to each character. Are we going to be seeing that throughout the entire issue or throughout the entire series? Um, does everybody have their own tone? And like, really what's the set, what tone are you bringing to the new defenders? Run? I think it's probably easiest to answer that question in terms of just contrasting defenders as a whole to Civil War II as a whole. Um, I'm really proud of the work that you know Justin and I did on Civil War II, uh, but Defenders is a very different kind of book. It's much more intimate. It's street level, obviously. It's a smaller cast, although still you know pretty large cast, but nowhere near the size of Civil War II, which literally had all of the toys from the toy box out to play with. Um, so, I mean, looking at, you know, Defenders, it's a much, um, you know, kind of grittier, more of, you know, noir book, for lack of a better, um, term to use. And, uh, the, the, the point that Brian and Justin and I kind of came down to is kind of leaning heavily on kind of the neo-noir look. So, you know, looking at things like Blade Runner or John Wick, uh, as, as you know, some inspiration, um, certainly in terms of like, you know, color palette and, you know, use of contrast and shadow and that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm also playing a lot with texture in the art in a way that I wasn't really doing so much with Civil War II. 
And I think a lot of that is trying to you know, really draw attention to and emphasize the fact that this is, you know, again, a street level book. And specifically, you know, the streets we're talking about are, you know, New York, you know, Bronx, uh, Hell's Kitchen, Brooklyn. Um, and we really wanted the city itself to be a character as well, uh, both in terms of, uh, you know, the people of the city, but also just the architecture, you know, the being you know, the water towers and, um, you know, the fire escapes and all this kind of stuff, uh, you know, the brick, the grit, all that stuff. Um, and Justin and I have been, have been working very closely together to try and find a way where things I'm playing with in the art, in the line art and black and white art is also something that, uh, you know, he's able to play in equal ways in the color uh, to match up. So those are just some of the things that we're playing with uh, in terms of the individual characters. Uh, if, for the book as a whole, I'm playing a lot with you know the grittiness and and, and all of that that comes across with a, with a New York story. Um, one thing that I enjoy doing a lot in my work, and I think that a lot of readers respond to, is the character work, you know, the uh, the emotion, the uh, the acting, uh, and that's something that's going to be carrying through just as strongly in this book as anything else I've worked on. Right, and anybody who actually lives in New York knows that the city is a character in itself. So it's always good to walk down the streets and actually kind of see that actually reflected within the book. Tom, you actually, I mean, you're you're gatekeeper. You're corralling all of this. So with that, I mean, is that is that something that you really wanted to implement here, or are you really kind of giving free reign to Brian, Justin, and David? I've, I've sort of deferred to to them in terms of defining what the what the particular look and style of the book is, what the tone is. Mm -hmm. What the flavor is, um, you know, it's a it's a series that demands sort of a slightly different approach visually than, uh, you know, as David said, certainly Civil War II and even before that, uh, Invincible Iron Man, mm -hmm. which is a very sleek sort of polished metal kind of, you know, futuristic, sophisticated look. Uh, it's actually a gear that I don't think people have seen uh, David do before. Uh, you know, the the actual uh, you know, rendering line and, and the, the use of tone and texture. Uh, you know, it's got a little bit more Bill Sienkiewicz in it than I think people are, are used to thinking when mm -hmm. they, they think about uh, uh, David's work. Uh, and, and I think it really suits the, the, the sort of characters and the sort of world they inhabit and, and, and move through uh, in, a, in, a, you know, in a very immediate uh, sort of a way. So mm -hmm. it, it definitely, uh, you know, you see David and then by extension Justin, uh, you know, stretching in terms of what your expectation is, you know, you know uh, that they can do or the kind of thing that they do. Uh, they got more gears to, to use than you might expect or anticipate. Cool. Brian, uh, just to elaborate on a point. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was just talking with Brian. He's still trying to get on. Um, I just wanted to elaborate on a point that Tom brought up, which was uh, some of the other like, artistic influences. So I'm definitely leaning pretty heavily on some of the previous artists who have worked on, you know, specifically also, you know, the Soul Heroes for Hire, street level New York character kind of uh, set of set of characters. Uh, Justin Kevich comes to mind, Alex Maleev, who works with Brian uh, on Daredevil, is a huge influence. Uh, actually, a lot of the recent artists on Daredevil have been a huge influence on me, you know, Chris Somni, uh, Paolo Rivera. So um, a lot of, of, of the stuff I'm bringing to uh, the art, hopefully harkens back to some of, of the highlights we've seen artistically in the series in the past. Tom, one thing that I, I, I know that has been solicited already, but we will be seeing Punisher actually dive into the book, uh, starting with issue three. Uh, one question that I kind of had with this is, yes, we do have a very street-level um, tone to the book, and we know that these heroes kind of are both kind of on the same road, but maybe in different lanes. Um, is it the kind of going to be 
the, the are they leaning towards the same endpoint or the same goal here? Uh, what do you want to use Punisher's role within defenders? Well, I, I think that the core defenders are all moving in in generally the same direction. They've mm -hmm. got a they've got a unity of purpose, a commonality uh, of of goal. Um, you know, there'll be plenty of other characters that pass through the book, and not always the characters that you'd immediately think of when you think of a street-level book. Certainly, the Punisher is kind of a natural fit in among these characters as somebody to, to pass through. But in the first couple of issues, we also have Blade, um, and we also have a, a couple of other surprises that I don't necessarily want to spoil ahead of time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for all that this is, you know, we talk about it as a noir book or a street-level book or whatnot. This is a book that takes place in the Marvel Universe, and that means at any given point, Spider-Man can swing by, or Iron Man can fly overhead, uh, you know, or things that, that uh, you know, come from the larger Marvel Universe can enter into this world. Um, you know, uh, so it's not just going to be of, of one sort of thing. I think thinking about it in the manner of New Avengers mm -hmm. is kind of right. You know, the New Avengers team, particularly in the latter days of that run when they were uh, working out of Avengers uh, Mansion, we're very much, uh, uh, you know, heroes on the ground sort of, uh, sort of a crew, uh, and the defenders kind of take that idea and take that forward. So mm -hmm. it wouldn't be out of sorts to see Doctor Strange past It wouldn't be out of sorts to see, uh, you know, uh, characters of a, of a wider background than you might expect mm -hmm. uh, to put an appearance in, in Defenders and to be a, a piece of that. Yeah, New York. Just but I. This is the writer of New Avengers, and I disagree with everything he just said. That was all right. <laughs> all right, that was uh, that was right on the money. Again, I, I'm sorry, guys. I I, I was um, dialing a landline phone. Seemed to be beyond me today. I apologize. How are you doing, Brian? Good. How are you? Good. It's Joe. Um, so I think let's. Do uh, I mean we kind of already dove into this, but I mean the elements of I mean you've had experience writing like this is, as we just touched on uh, these characters. You've got Luke Cage, Jeff, Iron Fist, Daredevil. They're all here within your new Avengers run. I mean, is this really uh, the team that you wanted? I mean, yes, it's kind of been uh, kind of corralled because of other mediums kind of taking them on. But is this who you wanted? Is this who you want to see within your book? And do you want to? Oh yeah, no. Listen, I'm on record. This is the the best part of this is that uh, I I literally pitched this to the public uh, on my last page of New Avengers. Yeah, is a page of Luke and Jessica talking about this book, and um, it was always on my list of this is what I would like to do if I return to these characters, and at the same time, these characters and sometimes the version that I'm most um, connected to. Uh, we're becoming big TV stars and all the pieces fall into place. And, and really the only thing that I think that probably changed from my initial idea of the book was just calling it Defenders. Like, like we didn't have a great name and thanks to um, Jeff kind of, you know, re-commandeering that name from publishing to make it this, you know, um, uh, it, it certainly helps. But th this idea and these characters and how they're going to interact and what they're going to do, that this was always um, um, the plan. So I, I, I'm on record way before the Netflix deal. Of this is what I wanted to do. Yeah, I remember when we worked on that, on that page, the, the script actually had at the very end, you know, coming soon, Heroes for Hire, yeah. 
or, or, or something. We weren't sure when it was going to come. Yeah, yeah no, I, I believe it said coming soon, Heroes for Hire or a better named version. <laughs> it is because it's not actually about heroes hiring and being hired for anything. Yes, yes. We should have a team just called TBD. <laughs> <laughs> now that you said that, I want defenders to have an adjective. Combrie versus defenders. Combrie versus defenders. There you TBD. go. Uh-huh. All right. There you go. Yeah. Uh, you know, and speaking about that, I mean, since the, you uh, uh, yeah, how about instead of instead of all new defenders, how about TV's defenders? How about that? <laughs> uh, I mean, you were talking about obviously, you know, since your end on New Avengers, I mean, these characters themselves have evolved past so many things. I mean, in the pages of Civil War II, especially, and now we're going into Secret Empire. But I mean, where are all these characters right now when uh, Defenders Number One is going to be coming out? Well, and if any, it really, it's to rewind to where are the defenders when the first chapter comes out, which is this Saturday, Free Comic Book Day, yeah, um, yeah. and the, the characters are all at their um, kind of like their base status quo. You've got Luke at Heroes for Hire. You got Danny Rand at the Rand Corporation. You got Matt Murdock, um, you know, being a lawyer. You got uh, Jessica taking on a new client. And the client that Jessica takes on reveals themselves to have done something pretty heinous, which was go after each one of our uh, main heroes um, using information there's no way they could have. Um, the free comic day story reveals who the big villain is for the storyline. It reveals what he or they are capable of. And it starts off um, our story with a, with a big whopper, um, and then we dive right into the free, and, and not to free, I'm sorry, not free, Defenders number one, uh, which is the opposite <laughs> of free. And uh, and, uh, and we and we hit the ground running. Awesome. And then we, David and, uh, kind of already touched on this point, too, but, I mean, you guys both collaborated on really Civil War um, and really just talking about, you know, the difference between it's high in the sky, it's all the characters of the Marvel Universe during Civil War. Um, as Tom kind of elaborated, the, top, the, the tone that we've got with Iron Man is polished, very sleek. But what, from your standpoint, Brian, like how do you see the tone of Defenders, and in your own words? I, I, I try to bring as much like realism and humanity to it as humanly possible. I, I, it's really like the goal. Um, it's, what, it's what I've... It's kind of back to what I kind of came to Marvel with in the first place. I had spent, you know, so many of my formative years doing um, crime fiction, which is people on the streets um, making choices, you know, that, but it's all in a world that we recognize. Like it's the world right outside our door. The escapism is um, much more visceral because you feel like this is a bar you could walk into, you know, not some crazy space station or, you know, Avengers tower. It's, it's, this is like, these feel like real places and, and sometimes they really are real places. So, um, in, there's just an immediacy to the escapism because you could dress up like Jessica or Luke and walk into a bar, you know? So, uh, I try to give it that. I, and with that, the characters are really reacting to each other. They're really reacting to the world around them. David and I, spend a great deal of time talking about the, the the city as a character and making sure that they interact with that character in a natural human way. And, and that's what has brought me some of my best times as a writer. And I love it. I, honestly, I'm having such a, 
good time writing this book, um, and I'm so challenged by it that I, I, I know people have seen me online. Just me and David are constantly like tweeting things because we're so excited to tell people what we've done because it's the beginning of what we think will be a very big chapter for us and the characters. And and David was actually talking about this as long as well as Tom that New York really does hold itself as a character. Do you think that New York is really going to be um, kind of like a partner to the defenders or more of an antagonist to them? Well, that's, that's the best thing about treating the city like a character. Cause like any character in any story, you don't know, like sometimes the city's going to be gigantic help to them. And because they are part of that city and, you know, people who live in a city this size or even less of this size, they know it's almost like an organism that, you know, that can spit you out or chew you up or help you. And, and, uh, and because Luke and um, Matt and Danny particularly have had such a good reputation on the streets and the dangerous reputation on the streets, that the city reacts accordingly. The good people are thrilled to see them and will help them at any case. You know, there's not a person in the city that doesn't feel like these people haven't saved their lives, you know? And at the same time, there's also people in the street who will react very negatively to their, to, to what they're doing. So the city itself is a pushback. Now in issue three, we're going to start um, what is kind of like a signature piece of the, of the series, which is that the city itself um, will narrate part of the story. Like the people of the city will tell you what they think of the Marvel universe and uh, what, what their version of, of the history of the streets is. So we're going to have, the opportunity to fill in some younger readers about some of the rich history of the characters, but not in a clunky way, in a way that really kind of shows how the city has been built by the legacy of these characters. And by the way, you got two things, really. You've got um, two characters. You've got the real New York City. You've got the New York City that we all know and, and I love to visit. And then we have the Marvel New York City, which is there's a New York City with Doctor Strange in it and Blade running around and uh, Elektra and, and uh, the Avengers. And, and so you look up in the sky and there's stuff that's different than the real world, but it's so the real world that you can't help but react to it in a real way. And I so think, yeah, speaking to that, too, I mean, as you said, you've got the Marvel New York and then you have that intimate real New York where it is very down on the ground. Um, I think actually you mentioned maybe in the past that the Defenders themselves, like this series is going to be very personal, uh, yeah. again, like for everybody and every, every individual character. Uh, is that something you can elaborate on how, how personal this is going to be per character? Yes, the villain is connected very personally to one of the four, um, so personally that it affects all of them. Um, the actions of that character um, right away in the free comic book day are so in-your-face personal. It's such a personal attack that they can't help but push back and kind of have to decide to reinvent the rules of how they do things. And by doing so, they decide to make the defenders an official thing that they, they are, that this person is so scary and this person is such a, an affront to the cities and the boroughs of New York that they decide as a team we need to stand as a group and tell the world at least this city we got you you know so this person's actions change everything about how they interact with each other and the city and i, and, I, I 
Sorry, go ahead. And, and, uh, no, I was just saying another thing. You know, so, so, uh, it's been a very fun week of um, uh, readers uh, emailing or t- tumbling questions at me. And one of the best questions last night was, you know, I'm so confused about Luke Cage because, according to everything, he's like one of the most powerful superheroes in the world. He's like an Omega level superhero, but they keep referring to him as street level. But I can't think of a fight that he's lost, right? And uh, I wrote back, you know, street level is not a power set, it's an address. And for people who think when they think street level, it's just uh, um, people like Daredevil is going to get the crap beat out of him, but still he'll win. It's more than that. There is real people with power. There's real scenarios of people trying to gain power and or take away power. Um, there's, you know, the the best creepy thriller science fiction bladeness of this world is all on the streets. So it's not just crime fiction. It's also science fiction. It's also horror. It, it whatever you want to categorize things of Dr. Strange and Spider-Man's nature are. And much like Avengers and my time on Avengers, the book is already revealed. Um, there's so many places to take these characters within the context of the street level heroes. There's so many new and interesting things on top of which, and I'm sorry to babble, but this is something I was trying to tell everybody about returning to the characters after a while is that um, this is one of the great joys of staying at the company is that you can like leave Jessica for a few years, come back and the character is still reacting to the world around her and the Marvel universe shifts so much, so much changes looks like the real world that I come back to Jessica or Luke Cage, and the relationship is different. The relationship to each other is different. The relationship to the world is different. Some of it's stronger, some of it weaker, but all worth exploring. So I'm writing like all new material about these characters that I love so much and I've spent so much time with, but because they're in a different place in their life, it feels brand new to me. And that's the advantage, really, with these characters themselves. I mean, with you at the helm, too, um, they're very organic. They react in the same way that somebody else on the street is going to react. They react to any real-world scenarios. Um, and they all have these, like, strong personalities that can't help to adjust to whatever they say. Uh, and really with that, I think a good question to ask, too, is, I mean, with such strong personalities that you're putting together within a team, is a leadership role going to be established, or are we going to see something like that, or is it really going to be everybody working together cohesively? Well, it's kind of like what I liked about the new Avengers. Um, everyone kind of steps up when it's their turn. Like, it kind of becomes um, the leader of the mission is whoever brought it to the table or whoever has the best sense of whatever they're doing, you know? Um, they're, they're not like... Um, um, membership ID kind of people. It's it's a handshake, you know. You're in. There's no contracts. Uh, they're 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 in they're in together, and it speaks more to the fact that they really are a family. And I know that's something that gets banded around about in a Fast and Furious kind of weird way, but um, they they love each other. And you know, I I just wrote a piece. Um, I guess we should talk about this too. That you know, every issue is going to have this um, some backup material. Um, uh, and the first issue is the backup is a interview with Luke Cage where you kind of get a sense of where he's at and what he thinks about these things. And, um, and, and in it, he, he talks about, you know, that the, you, 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 a lot of the superhero community 
you know, they made their own family. They, they, they found each other on the streets and they found each other in the sky and, and they become friends. And then, you're, you know, while you're building yourself up as, as, as a protector of the city, you meet other people who want to do the same thing. And all of a sudden you turn around and you find out you're friends in a family that you built yourself. And the good thing about Defenders is they've already built that. We're, they're already a family. So now as a family, we get to see what they're going to do. Uh, what what and with that comes all the positives and negatives of family, which is we they trust each other immensely. Also, they know each other very well, so they know how to get each other's nerves extremely well. They know where all the buttons are. But yeah, I don't want to skip over that. So every issue, on top of being a full uh, story, uh, we're going to bring back the pulse, but in a way that is kind of like what we did back on the old. Um, Secret Wars series where there was backup that accentuated the storyline with um, new material in a new way. Uh, also, it's not unlike what we did with the oral history of Avengers years ago, where it's going to be um, just in a, just a way to really dive into the characters in unique and special ways. And we wa- wanted the Defenders to have something special. And Ben Urich and the Daily Bugle and what's been going on in Jessica Jones with Luke and Jessica is a big part of the story as well. So we're going to bring back the pulse and not, not as a comic book, but as a feature, um, this part of the daily bugle that focuses on superheroes on the streets. And uh, we're going to get Ben and his team's perspective on everything that's happening. That is incredible. And I cannot wait for that. (laughs) And I love writing them. Um, Tom just read my first one this morning and he, he knows it's like, writing fake magazine articles for uh, a magazine you wished you owned. Yeah. <laughs> More bang for your buck. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I, and I thought, you know, with uh, fans would like to know they're getting a little more for their money with defenders than normal. Mm-hmm. We're pretty excited about that. And then I think we're going to go back to one question that we kind of already asked and we touched on. Um, and uh, with issue three, we've already solicited that uh, Punisher is going to be coming into the title. Tom elaborated that the, this exists within the Marvel Universe. Um, you'll see heroes flying over top. There will be heroes that are all over the place. Um, with the addition of the Punisher coming in here, uh, we kind of talked about like the general mission statement towards the book itself, where the team itself is kind of in the same path. But now with the addition of Punisher, is he kind of going in the same direction, just in a different lane? Is he kind of taking on his own way of how to handle justice? Um, how did you really want to handle the Punisher within Defenders? Well, the overall um, part is, and, and talking to the larger piece of what the book is like, is what happens in the first couple issues of Defenders is so loud um, that it can't help but bring people towards it. You know, it can't help but bring the punishers of the world towards it, you know, and it speaks to the level of um, uh, danger that, that, that's happening on the, on the streets with, with the new elements that have arrived. Um, with, with one new element, the Punisher uh, will interact with Defenders in a way that will surprise people because it speaks to the level of the mystery behind um, who our big villain is. But yeah, so not only the Punisher, but um, you know, uh, 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 there are certain spider people that are going to show up. Uh, Blade shows up. Uh, Doctor Strange shows up. Uh, um, uh, a couple of mutants show up. Uh, there, there's, there's, there's so many surprises coming. Uh, night nurse. I know we have some night nurse fans that particularly loved our night nurse from our new Avengers. She will be back. Um, that of course hints that a lot of people get hurt, 
but that's what she's for. And um, and uh, that's uh, we're 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 going to really open up the streets and 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 have a lot of people come in. So the four are like the base, but the rest of the Marvel universe will react to them, and there will be members that will come in and out um, in a, in a hopefully organic way. I love that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's very much like what what what, what uh, Brian said earlier. This is not a group that really is is worried about bylaws or worried about who's a member or who's not a member. Um, so there'll be a sort of free flowing, you know, uh, exchange of of characters that come in and go out as, as the situation demands it or as the story demands it. Um, yeah, so, it's, it's, know, hard, it's hard to imagine Luke Cage taking uh, like minutes at a meeting. So I just think I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like it's like. Out. Are, are we gonna Are we gonna take minutes at a meeting, or are we all just gonna get Chinese food and talk the shit out and figure it out? Yeah. It's just based on the personality. I think, I think Danny brings the donuts. Danny. Iron Fist. Iron Fist exactly. Exactly. Yes. No, I just assume it's a lot of just like awkwardly waiting for Danny to pick up the check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, you guys really kind of hit on the idea that there's we're gonna see so many guest stars coming in on this. Now, obviously, you've got uh, a name and a legacy of the name Defenders added to this book. Uh, anybody from existing or previous Defenders popping in? Yes. Or? yes. You can imagine that being that there was another Defenders team that I quite loved, um, that they might not be thrilled that their uh, name has been poached. <laughs> so look for some Defender on Defender action down the line. Not, not in the first storyline, but, uh, you know. That'd be great. Cool. Um, look, look, look for the the uh, the long overdue Jessica Jones versus the Silver Surfer, the Hulk, and Valkyrie fight. <laughs> <laughs> That's coming up. Um, and with that, uh, I think what I want to do is I kind of want to open this up to questions for everybody here. Um, so Marvel.com, uh, Ben, do you have anything to ask? Uh, no, I don't think we're going to do questions this time, Joe. We're just going to listen to everyone else. Okay, great. He didn't write a question. Uh, he, I know Ben's normal questions. It's okay. Uh, uh, CBR. Hey, everybody. Um, Hello, CBR. Ryan, I'm curious to hear about uh, your take on Daredevil in the series, because obviously that's the character that you wrote for a very long time. But at this point, a very long time ago, and the character has been through a lot and is in a very different place now. Um, what's interesting to you about uh, writing Daredevil uh, in 2017? Well, it's one it's one of the um, most exciting and scariest things because, um, and this is as high class a problem as any creator could have because um, when you're associated with a with a run on a character, uh, sometimes people can even remember it with rose colored glasses. You know what I mean? Like people think fondly of it, and that's very very nice. But then you're kind of responsible for. Um, how people perceive you and the character, which uh, you're not totally, you, you couldn't possibly be totally in connection with. So I've decided to forget about all that, uh, forget about my first run, forget about everything I did, just let it, that it's all in the past and uh, in, in those moments mean the world and just come at the character as if it's the first time I've ever written him. Um, I'm thrilled with what Charles is doing with the character and the paces that he's putting him through. Uh, it creates an amazing um, platform from which I can build his relationships in this book. Uh, Charles and I are very much on the same page about what's happening. 
And, um, and you know, and the same thing with Jessica. I just, I just, you know, I have such, you know, long history with these characters. And, you know, I, I think not talking out of school, but I think Tom knows we're talking about what sometimes when a creator comes back to a character, they seem to not even know that anything else has happened to the character since last they came back. You know, sometimes older creators will pitch a sequel to something that lets you know that they've not read a comic since 1977. And um, and that's a, a trap and a mistake that uh, I think the best way to handle is to ignore the fact that I've worked on these characters before and earn my place on them um, just like I did the first time, which is to write as honestly and purely and into their soul as I possibly can, not to sound cheeky, but that really is what the, what the job is. And um, remember that the work I did on these characters beforehand, not everyone will have read. So to yeah. count on it for brownie points with readers is a huge mistake. And just to take it as if it's the first day I've ever had the job, which by the way, isn't a bad philosophy to have with every single issue that you write. You, every time you start a new book, you say, this is the first time I'm ever writing these characters. Let's dive in and do the best job we can. Love that. Cool. Uh, Adventures in Portes, David. Hey guys, how you doing? You guys, hey, Adventures and Portes, you've been very, very nice to us, and I just want to say, say thank you. I appreciate oh, it. It's been thoughtful, not only nice, but thoughtful and nice, and I, I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for saying that. That's really nice of you. Um, I had a question in regards to, based on your interview with The Hollywood Reporter, where you mentioned um, you're going to be writing the mob in a modern way. Can you go yeah. into more detail about that? I mean, what, Yeah, what you know... Listen, this and, and, and <laughs> so what was the what was the question? I'm sorry, what was the last part? Oh, I was just gonna I was just gonna go a little further, but you could just go right off and rip off that. Oh no, keep going, keep going. Finish your question. I'm sorry, I got excited about it. Oh, that's okay. I just wanted to ask. Okay, so can you go into more detail about that? And what what what, what might we expect from a modern telling of organized crime? Well, so um, it's safe to say that Frank Miller's um, DNA was still on Daredevil and the streets of Daredevil, even when I was on Daredevil, like it, it, and even, um, it's still, it still trickles into Daredevil and other books, you know, and, and some of that stuff is decades old now. And some of it is even hearkening back to something from decades before that, like a more classic mob mentality or, or street level look at stuff. But, um, if you really watch what's been going on in organized crime and, and just crime in general since even 9-11 up until now, it, things have a different shape and there's different types of players and they're doing different kinds of business. And with technology comes new problems and new ways to scam people. And that stuff doesn't always make it in to literature right away, not just comics, but even in movies and television. It's kind of a slow on the uptake because they want to give people stuff they're familiar with, which is like a mob boss and a, uh, you know, and a, and a femme fatale and, and thugs. And I do it too. It's a lot of fun to write, but with this opportunity to like the plans that, that organized crime has right now are a little more elaborate and, and there are quite a few steps ahead of, um, you know, the FBI and stuff. And, and I just thought, let's, 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 uh, let's push this whole thing forward. Let's, let's, with a new element coming into the streets, it gives us an opportunity to 
kind of reestablish what the streets of Marvel look like, you know, who the players are and what they want and what, what kind of territory they're going to grab and who's going to be on what side and who's going to benefit the most from each player. Uh, all, all of this is worth reexamining and really kind of like starting almost laying down tracks from scratch so new readers um, who are coming in from the Netflix shows will kind of have their own New York to dive into, not on, not unlike they do on the shows. Now it's going to be very different from the one on the shows, but you know the one on the show has its own way it breathes, and we're we're going to have our own as well. And, and what that entails, the second part of your question, what that entails, you're going to find out very very quickly. But it's basically there's one character who's going to flip the script on all the superheroes and all the way the things are done on the street. There's the way things have been done and they're going to come in and show a new way to do it. And it's going to throw everything into chaos. And Brian's uh, passion for, for organized crime is something that has impacted me as well, because when we started talking about doing this book, he literally gave me a pile of like eight or 10 books to read all about the history of organized crime in New York and Chicago. So um, he made me do the homework that he's been doing too. Yeah, and well, I just want you to like a, you know, the flavor of it is so exciting, and also sometimes you'll read stories and go, well, that is crazy, but it really happened, and it will make our crazy seem less crazy. That's always my feeling about that. When you find out what the what the mob was doing in the in the early sixties, you're like, oh, this is nothing. <laughs> that's the goal, isn't it? Make your crazy seem less crazy. Yeah, um, that's that, that's would- my life philosophy, by the way. <laughs> Uh, with that word balloon, John. Hey guys, how's it going? Hey, John. Excellent. Uh, you know, uh, Tom, you've you've had other street level uh, teams in the last few years. Um, obviously, the the defenders have a pedigree, and certainly these characters working together, Brian using them in New Avengers and doing stuff currently in Jessica Jones. Um, you know, we 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 see established relationships and how they attack the streets it, comparing this book to you know uh the ultimates and uh you know the champions and things like that what you know what do these characters say that those teams don't well i think in, in a in a in a way it's a more intimate book it's a more personal book it's its scope is smaller in that it's more focused on the neighborhood even if the neighborhood is as big as the whole of Manhattan Island, uh, you know, in the same sort of way that, you know, when I think of classic Spider-Man, you know, Fantastic Four or the Avengers would go off and have adventures in other countries or other planets, other dimensions, and Spider-Man would be dealing with the the no-good nicks in and around Manhattan and Queens and Brooklyn and 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 uh, and this sort of thing. Um, so I, I think the, the the core of the book and the core of the team is going to have a very different uh, tone uh, than any other uh, you know group book that, that exists right now at least within the Marvel universe. Uh, you know that it's it's uh, you know it's a it's a, a very tightly knit group of people with a common cause uh, and uh, you know who are sort of. Again, operating down on the on the ground in the, on the on the same level as the people that they're they're working to help and protect. Uh, you know, there's a little more of a, for lack of a better term, a Zorro aspect to it, where these are really the heroes of the community rather than the heroes of the planet. Uh, and in some ways, that makes their 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 efforts 
much more personal even to the people that are around them, whether it's the people that like them because they're out there putting their lives on the line for them or people that don't like them so much because they're getting in the way of them making a, a dishonest buck or two. Can I put Zorro on the, t- on the team? Is Zorro available? <laughs> yes, think, Zorro. Zorro is a good pitch. <laughs> and also, you know, you know, one of the, one of the things we talk about, John, and and one of the things I think does separate this book from the other books is that, um, you know, what's going on in the streets is sometimes the stuff that really affects people like right away, you know, um, like immediately, and uh, the people that are trying to rob and steal from those people need help immediately, and they need help that is more than the cops and firemen can give them. And the rea- the reaction to the defenders is going to be more, more intimate and personal because of that. You know, they're right there. Like Luke has an address that people know. Mm-hmm. Jessica has an yeah. office, you know, they're going to, there, there's, there's going to be, uh, you know, different for re- different public reactions to different characters at certain times, you know? Um, and, uh, but so I, there's, yeah, what Tom said, the intimacy between these characters in the streets is, is um, very unique to any Marvel book I've ever written. Cool. I, 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 it, I you know, because when... Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I've got this, this weird vision of, you know, like at least twice a, twice a week, you know, what, what, what Luke and Jessica have for dinner is something that somebody has just brought over. In, in fact, yeah. here's, a, you know, here's, a, here's, a, here's a, you know, here's a, here's a, here's a roast. Here's a, a thing I did. Thank you for... Uh, you know, for for what you do, and that that's you know, again, that's that, that's part of that sort of community uh, flavor. They're they're people of the people. I get it. Yeah, cool. and, and and we're going to get to a pies don't pay the bills moment. That's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, Newsarama, George, are you online? Yeah, I'm here. Um, I actually have a question. Hello, I have a question for David. Actually, I want to talk about. Your process in defining a visual identity for each of these characters, when half of them are kind of in street clothes, how do you make that look like a superhero while maintaining that street level edge? For each of the characters, I mean, whether they're wearing spandex or like leather and denim, it's still a costume, it's still a uniform, and the way in which uh, they carry themselves in those clothes becomes as much like, you know, part of their character as, you know, a, a mask or, or anything else. So, you know, for Jessica Jones, everyone knows a leather jacket, and that's a very easy you know, visual go-to. For Luke Cage, now we have the hoodie as being a nice kind of a visual touch to, to remind ourselves of kind of who this character is. Um, so, kind of, you know, the example that I, I think about is we look at, like, you know, cartoons from, like, you know, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Oftentimes, when the characters were in civilian clothes, they were still in recognizable clothes that were there. There. So even back, you know, looking at the way Peter Parker was drawn by Romita, uh, you know, back back in the day, he had a certain you know set of a set of, of looks for him where he still recognizably that character. And you can do the same thing with them, um, uh, with you know, with you know, a nice modern styled uh, outfit. But um, the other thing that's kind of always surprising about these projects, as, as you know, after moving off Miles Morales, have kind of bounced project to project every, you know, five to ten issues is uh, they kind of take on a life of their own where 
ideas I may have about how I want to draw the book and how I may want to draw the characters change over time as the characters start kind of you know, talking to me about how they, how they want to be presented. A big part of that is from, you know, the script and the conversation with Brian, conversation with Justin and with Tom. Um, also, it's just time on the page, you know, uh, just scratching away and finding out that actually, you know, what makes Jessica look like Jessica is not just the, you know, the fact that she wears a leather jacket, but it's how she wears the jacket. It's not just the fact that Luke Cage, you know, has a facial has a facial hair cut in a certain way or wears certain articles of clothing. It's it's you know the way he stands in front of someone to take the punch when that person can't take it. It's that kind of stuff. So, um, it's 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 a living, breathing process. Cool. And right, that makes uh, me happy to hear because it's kind of what happens in the writing process as well. And you kind of want to put it, you kind of, it's so ethereal, but you want it in the script. So your collaborators will feel that as well. And then as he's drawing, they start to become real as well. It just, it just, it, it bodes well for the, for the, the book and how people re- react to it. If we're both feeling so connected, you know? Yes. Cool. Uh, comics first. Uh, is it just Justin or Kat? Hi, it's Kat. Hey. Hi, Kat. Hey, okay, so my question is, hi. Um, so since the Defenders are a street-level team and with the city being its own character, can we expect the team to tackle any real-world issues or any metaphors of real-world issues? Well, metaphors for sure. Metaphors, um, I, I, I got I got a bag full of metaphors. I'm ready to drop on everybody. Um, uh, and and the, the real-world issues will stem from each character's individual um, place in the world. You know, um, Luke is going to react to the world from who he is and where he stood. And, you know, uh, and so will Danny and Jessica. And they all, and part of what makes them a very good team is they have a very diverse perspective, diverse experiences, even though some of them are shared, they came away from experience with two different things. And um, with that will come, the real world stuff. So, so yes is the thing. And by the way, crime is a real world issue in general. Just people, people trying to take your shit is a, is a real world issue. Yeah. Let's not forget uh, that. That's a big one. Yeah. Uh, comicbook.com. Jamie. Hey, I was wondering with all the talk of how intimate the book is and how most of the characters have a public address, how that affects, Daredevil's role in the book, given that he's kind of the exception to the rule and how that affects his relationship with the others? Excellent question. A very good question. They're, they, you're going to find these characters are in such a um, dangerous position that even though he's your one of your good friends, that guy in the devil mask might need to give a little more than just devil mask if you're going to hang out here. So the, the, the respect of each other's individuality and what they want to represent to each other and what secrets they want to share with each other uh, will be a part of that. Uh, you, know, you know, obviously I have a, a uh, tendency to really take those secret identities very seriously and dangerously. I, I, and obviously Daredevil being the most uh, ballsy move we've ever made on, on something like that. And, um, uh, all I'll say is we're going to continue down that road of a secret identity is not something that's going to be taken lightly. Uh, uh, it's it's going to be something very difficult to maintain and difficult to maintain with friends. 
Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll take it from there. But I, I do think that that is a, a something very interesting to delve into. If, uh, you know, when you're when you have a lot of trust between characters, but one of them won't get out of the devil mask, you know, there's going to be a conversation. It'd be it'd be really mean of us to, to Charles <laughs> if, if as soon as he finishes the story where he explains how Daredevil. Uh, got his secret identity Back. secret again. We we had him unmasked to the world again. <laughs> that sounds very. T- sounds <laughs> very. It doesn't sound mean as as more typical me than anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sounds right. Um, IGN, Jesse, are you on the line? Yeah, I'm here. Hi, Jesse. Hey. Uh, hey so you talked already about how the, the general idea for this book predates all the Netflix stuff by a number of years. But I guess I'm curious if there's anything specific about those shows in terms of either characterization or just uh, visual style that you really like and you might want to incorporate here. Well, yeah, I, I'm I'm a, I'm on record as a gigantic fan of, of what they've done. And also, you know, they've been very, very open and honest about even my name is thanked in almost every episode about how much material is in the DNA of those shows that came from some of our stuff. Right. Uh, so I'm immensely flattered by it. And at the same time, happy that, um, that stuff was used to build a building block that would get us this book in the shape that it's in. So it, it kind of is the best version of, um, Marvel becoming this multimedia empire that produces its own movies and television shows is that um, it all kind of flowed out of the comics into the TV and then the TV back into the comics, but not in a way that anyone's imitating anyone. That's the cool stuff. Now, as far as the visual stuff goes, and David will, will of course, speak to this, but I'm a huge fan of the cinematography that's going on in those shows. I've said so very clearly. The stuff that went on in Jessica with the little slivers of purple light was phenomenal. I love the look of Daredevil so much. It gives me chills. I love it. So, um, but the reason I love it is because I love the stuff that inspired it. I, I, I love the, the films and television shows and the cinematographers that made those stuff. And we've been applying a lot of that philosophy to our work over the years. So we're going to do that more. Now, one of the things that we, we applied uh, to Daredevil was this idea of this, this neo-noir, this look that David and uh, Justin had toyed with a little bit in some issues of um, uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, where we, we flash back to Miles' father's early days on the streets, and, and David had you know, produced this um, more noir style that is um, kind of like the forefather to what he's doing in this book here. So I'd already seen what David and Justin could do on the streets or, or a version of it. And um, using that as our template to start this book um, and then using all of, you know, these cool noir tricks that the, the shows use. And it's just an exciting mix. I, I kind of answered for you. I'm sorry, David. Yeah. No, 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 no. I mean, no, he, he did cover a lot, a lot of, 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 of the ground, but um one thing that Justin and I both really respond to is the use of color on uh, the shows. Now, we didn't want to just copy what they do, just as, you know, whenever you, you face with a comic that's also being exploited in other media, be it, you know, animation, TV, film, video games, uh, if you if they do things well, it's good to learn from those things and, and to borrow where appropriate, or at least make sure that if a, a reader happens to come to the Defenders comic having seen the Netflix shows and seeing these are the same characters, 
it's good to have you know some of the, some elements of it being recognizable, but also to be additive and not just repetitive of what they've already seen. So you know we're we're taking some of the things that are done well on the show, things like you know they they shoot the city beautifully. Uh, they use amazing use of color, the costuming, the lighting's all gorgeous. So we're going to borrow some of those things uh, if if we think it adds to the quality of the book. We also want to make sure that we're building off that, not just repeating it. Yeah, and we're also we're also like you know influenced by the wire and the shield and there there's so oh, many sure. aw- awesome you know neo noir shows that have been on the air that have been so freaking exciting the movie drive you know there's so many things mm-hmm. that have inspired the way we're we're tackling that that yes i c- i cannot tell you how much the first season of defenders and jessica and it would 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 um visually inspire us but those are two of things of, of 50 uh, that have equally inspired us. ICB2, Nicole? Yo. Um, hi. You, you mentioned uh, early on in the conversation that right away there's going to be a big event that'll kind of get the attention of the other heroes in the universe. Is that going to spill out at all into any of the other books? Yes. Um what what the uh, well I should say the event isn't is is more like a character's introduction into and what they do immediately as their first act. Um, uh, it will be damaging to each defender, and that absolutely will pour into their books. It's it's a it's a it's a game changer for for everyone involved. Then there's no way it doesn't get you know spill out. For certainly Will and Jessica, I can't speak to the other books, but actually I can because um, you know David Walker, who who's a good friend of ours, both David and I, and uh, David and I actually mm-hmm. teach here at, at Portland State. Um, we're, we're very connected in, in in the portrayal of Luke and Jessica and, and Luke and Luke and Danny and Charles has been very very gracious and cool about how we're going forward, as is his way. Cool. Uh, and with that, we've got a couple more minutes, but I think the best way to kind of close this out is, uh, Brian, do you have any final thoughts you want to offer up to everybody? And we'll just go with Brian, David, and Tom, if you guys want to offer any additional notes. Any teases? Oh, tea! I can tease. I got all kinds I know. of teases. I know you can. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I can tell you we, we have a very good – um, start, I, I'm so excited about the start of this because it really is like the first chapter of, of a brand new big story in Marvel Comics. And I, we gave a lot of thought into the fact that there's going to be people who read this who were fans of our old runs on the books. Uh, and there will be people who have never, ever read a word of that stuff, but will, be, will have heard good things, will be coming to us to see if the good things were true. And then there's people who have seen the shows and finally, oh, I, I'm dying for Defenders um, to start on TV. Oh, good, the comic's here to like scratch that itch till the TV show gets. So with those in mind, we really did try to craft uh, a brand new look at the Marvel Streets and the Marvel Street heroes and how they interact with each other. Um, and with that comes every issue, at least one surprise person popping up um and and i have smiled every time we've been able to pull it off so awesome david any other teases you want to offer up any other surprises 
Uh, I just think that everyone on the team is really committed to making sure that we're honoring you know, the long, diverse history of all these characters and just the, the broad swath of street level characters Marvel has to offer. You know, what has made Marvel kind of so distinct as a publishing house for so long is you know, the tagline that you know Marvel inhabits the same world that you do. You look out the window and the same world they see out the window, just maybe through a slightly different filter. And so we're trying to present all this, you know, uh, characters and 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 uh, and storylines uh, that are are familiar to 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 readers in a very new and refreshing way. Awesome. Uh, what's your fa- what's your favorite part to draw so far, David? Well, I can't say because we haven't pulled anybody the characters. <laughs> so, all right. What's your what's your least favorite part to draw? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, New York has a lot of buildings, man. Um, it is a lot yeah. of buildings. There's a lot of windows. I noticed that. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> Nothing I can do. Yeah. And Tom, anything to add? I think uh, uh, the, the thing that I would say, particularly this week and on Saturday, is the free comic book day story. Much like the Absolutely. Secret Empire Zero, uh, we did not wait to dive into the meat of mm-hmm. this story. Um, so that that chapter that we're giving away absolutely for free is an essential taste as to what this book is going to be like and how fast it's going to move and how hard it's going to hit. Uh, and, uh, you know, people should definitely make it a point to go to their local uh, retailer this Saturday uh, and pick up a copy of it. You get a, a very nice uh, Jerry Duggan, uh, uh, Aaron Cooter uh, Guardian story as well. Um, but uh, I think that uh, uh, you know that that little taste of Defenders it will will hit you right in the gut, and uh, you'll be salivating for uh, when number one drops next month. I got we I tell you this worked out really well because David and I were feeling very warm and tingly about how generous the readership had been towards us from Miles to Iron Man to Civil mm-hmm. War, and it was very cool that Marvel set us up to give like a free comic book Lily, like here's a free comic book to say thank you and also here's what we're going to do here's what we're going to do next you know and um it's it's and also you know free comic day is is a promotion for the stores and it we took it upon ourselves and have done in the past to make sure that not only is it a very good product that's free but it, it it's a product that like matters like you will need to read this, you know, and, and I think that's yes. the best Valentine you can give to the stores. Like that's the best present you can give them on free comic day is, is a, a store. Uh, you know, people always say, is, do, do I need to read this? Yes. You need to read this one. Go into the stores, go to free comic day, get your free comics, take your friends. And then, uh, and uh, as your, as your bonus, you get this free defenders comic. That's going to rattle your chain for at least a month. The official first chapter in Defenders. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And free. And with, yes, and free. And uh, with that, I want to thank everybody. Yeah, I, I, know, I know people laugh. Like, I hear the reporter snickering. We keep saying free. Literally every 20 minutes, someone asks us how much the free comic day comics are. <laughs> I promise you that's true. I'm not making fun of anybody. They really can't believe it every single year. I, I, if I was a kid, if I was a teenager... And they said, no, it's free. Go in there. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> like that, it sounds like we're setting people up. So it's right. free, for awesome. real. So free comic book day is this Saturday. It's the official first chapter of Defenders. Uh, Brian, Brian Michael Bendis, I want to thank you for joining us. David Marquez. Hey, hey by the way, 
If I may, David and I will be making a very rare public appearance here in Portland at Things from Another World at 5 o'clock with the amazing David Walker. It's the really? only place in America you'll be able to get your free comic day stuff signed. It's also my only American appearance this year, so come on down and uh, we'll give you a hug. Awesome. <laughs> Promise hug. Perfect. <laughs> Awesome. Guys, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, again, free comic day. First chapter of Defenders this Saturday, and then June 14th is Defenders number one. Thank you, everybody, Thanks for so joining much, us guys. today. All right, All right. We'll talk to everybody later. Thanks a lot. Okay, and we're back, and uh, that was, gee, that was amazing, Brian. I can't believe it's already been an hour. Uh, yeah, I don't understand why you and I had to sit in silence for an hour while they listened to that. Can't you just edit it in? No, no, you had to. This is like Letterman. It's not, there's no band while the commercials play. Good stuff. We're back. That's right. I feel like uh, Carson. That was, but okay. The uh, now the the uh, is that your Jack Parr? Okay, everybody. So there's uh, part one because once again my microphone uh, muted on me, and I've spent a week fixing it. But it's all fixed now, and that's why I'm releasing this uh, new Bendis tapes and new Board Balloon episode today. I was able to get uh, J.K. Woodward out there uh, in his Star Trek Free Comic Book Day using a backup computer. But uh, this is a better computer. I'm glad this is back up and running. And uh, happy to present part one of the Bendis tapes for you today. Part two is coming up uh, very soon. And uh, I just want to record a little header with Brian, which we hope to do this week. And uh, we'll uh, give you uh, part two. It's uh, more great conversation. Again, we get into uh, more stuff about uh, all the Bendis books and uh, other good stuff that we recorded. A nice, lengthy Bendis tapes for you and uh, nice timing with uh, the 12th anniversary here. So uh, thanks a lot for listening to Word Balloon. As always, really appreciate you guys uh, and women, all of you, sticking with me. When I say you guys, women refer to yourselves as guys as well. I've heard it. Dudes. Uh, thank you very much for your support, for your attention, and uh, the good uh, feelings you give me uh, when you really enjoy the conversations. Man, great feedback from the Dance Slot interview. I thank you for that. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a whole archive of Word Balloon, as you know, uh, several hundred uh, episodes, uh, over 700, really, of Word Balloon, if you go right through them. And uh, go to wordballoon.com, and you can find them all. Uh, thank you again for listening today. It was brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. And uh, Word Balloon was also brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support via Patreon. Uh, I truly appreciate everything you do as I uh, am uh, trying to get through this time where I'm uh, working uh, one part-time job, uh, you know, back in radio and uh, trying to uh, build Word Balloon along uh, the way as well. So uh, thank you very much for your support, League of Word Balloon listeners, through Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash Word Balloon uh, and uh, think Word Balloon is worth a subscription, uh, is it worth the price of a comic book? If you can spare that every month, um, that would be great. Uh, you can either go to patreon.com slash Word Balloon or go to wordballoon.com and uh, click on the uh, Patreon ad right there on the front page. It will take you to my Patreon page. But uh, really, thank you for the support, League of Word Balloon listeners. Okay, uh, that's it. Questions or comments about the show, reach me via email, john at wordballoon.com. And uh, follow me on Facebook under my name, John Suntress, and the Word Balloon Network. And also at Twitter under at John Word Balloon. I try to remember to Instagram when I can. I try to remember to Tumble if I really have something interesting to say on Tumblr. Uh, the big net neutrality uh, plea I should probably put on Tumblr, and I think I will do that. Uh, watch last week tonight. I'm telling you. You will uh, understand net neutrality 
and uh, truly see that it's a very important thing to uh, maintain. And uh, thanks for listening to my little rant about net neutrality today as well. Uh, looking forward to giving you part two on the next Word Balloon of the Bendis Tapes. Until then, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2017.